I ask them, have you ever heard of Burundi? If they're honest, they say they haven't. You know, what is Burundi? Is it a piece of cheese? It's about the least known country in the world. Uh, so don't feel bad about that. But, but, but now you know about it. And uh, a lot of people in the world don't know about it. And it's like a forgotten nation, but God hasn't forgotten it. And I've been there for the last 20 years. And it's a country, as I said, I thought I'd die in. And uh, it's in a hell of a mess. And I don't use those words lightly. And I, I did the maths. And it, it is 1,274th the size of Australia. So it's not a big place. But it's got 11 million people, and they're trying to live off the land. And that's not enough land to go around. It was 6 million people when I went out there, and 5 more million people since I've been there in 20 years. That's just 5 more million people starving to death. It's the hungriest country in the world. It's got the highest rate of malnutrition, according to a recent UN survey. It's the most miserable country in the world. So it's, it's been tough. I've shed a lot of tears uh, over my home. Um, and uh, so I went out. It was So Rwanda, you probably heard of Burundi. Um, the war started before Rwanda and actually went on for 13 years. So I experienced seven years of that war. And then peace came in 2005, and that, that's 2015, where it kicked off again. By this stage, I'm married, I've got three kids. It's a bit different, isn't it? Because I was a young, single nutter, expecting to die, willing to die. And then suddenly, well, I proposed to my wife. I said, are you ready to be a young widow? Uh, and, then, and then three kids came along, and you, you're like, why would you do that? You know, that's, that's a bit crazy. And, and you know, all, all, all I would say on that one is the best thing, that if you're a parent, the best thing you can model to your kids is living by faith not by fear. In fact, that's one of the points I'm going to come out with uh, as we look at that beautiful passage from Deuteronomy. And, and, and my, my kids, because we've, we've taken risks and not settled for domesticated, respectable, tame Jesus, you know, they've got their own faith story and they've seen, they've seen the power of God and how he's intervened. And, you know, if we play it safe and we insist on being controlled, then we're not going to experience God. Or we'll experience a sort of slightly twisted version of him. And as I shared this morning, please, uh, you know, I, I hope everyone will be comforted and encouraged, but also there's a, there's a big challenge coming. Because, you know, I have lived in a Balmain equivalent, and I went to England's most expensive uh, private school, and so I'm from a privileged upbringing. And, and so I know the temptations. I, I've, I've worked in a good job. I know what it's like to, the temptations we face here, and it's a very different context you're in, but it is the same Jesus. It's the same Jesus who's Lord of Burundi, who's Lord of, over uh, Sydney and wherever you come from this morning. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm showing you now, but that's going to be the title of this morning's talk, Choose Life. And uh, you'd have to go on Kurong to get it, because I've imported a whole bunch of books, but they're already sold now. So yeah, I mean, it's a, a devotional. I'm going I'm to come out with nine things this morning, if, if time permits, nine, nine choices we've got to make. Uh, and um, that's 365, so that's just a daily shot in the arm. This is a daily devotional. It was voted devotional of the year, so it can't be rubbish. So I encourage you to get that if you want to. And there's my family. Uh, so yeah, so. 25 years old. I went out because I prayed a prayer which I'd encourage all of us to pray. So this is the prayer at age 25 that took me to Burundi. I said, God, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. That's a simple prayer, isn't it? And I was in a good job. And this bloke tracked me down. I'd never met him before. And we met up in London's Wall Street, Bishopsgate. And uh, he starts saying, uh, my name's Robert DeBerry and I've been praying and I believe God sent me to you. Once you go to Burundi and the Golden Youth and Mission Evangelism, so my heart's thumping in my chest saying, God, is this what you've kept me for? So I said, all right, thanks, weirdo. I'll think about it. I'll be spiritual. I'll pray about it. And I went back to my job and I'm in front of the computer. I said, God, right now, if you want me to go to Burundi, I'll fast, I'll pray. Fasting and praying is good. Uh, uh, I'll seek your face. You know, was that some nut job or was that you? And if that was you, give me a radical sign to justify a radical change of career. So that was what I said. You know, Burundi wasn't Britain's colony. In, in England, people don't have Burundi. So, Lord, right now, if you want me to do Burundi, give me a radical sign about Burundi. As I'm in front of the computer, I'm phone, right? the phone. The voice on the other end, out of the blue, said, do you know anyone who wants to work in 
Burundi. <laughs> that, that, that was my call. That's crazy, isn't it? And I don't lie to you, but you wouldn't live and you wouldn't live and risk your family's life for, for a lie, would you, for 20 years? So then, you know, if, if, we, if we don't believe in God, I suppose we'd have to say that was a coincidence. And then I think most of us here would say that wasn't a coincidence, that was a, a God instead. It's a lovely scripture in 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9, tucked away in the Old Testament, says, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, longing to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. I love that scripture. Because that's, that's the Father's desire. He wants to strengthen you. He's, he's, he's cheering you on. He's on your side. He wants you to be on his team. So, and he's like, this morning, who's up for it? Is Mark, Mark's up for it? Is Sarah's up for it? But it doesn't just have to be a few of us. It could be all of us together journeying and, 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 and changing where he's put us, our mission field here in the name of Jesus. And the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, longing to strengthen those whose hearts are fully. That's the deal. Full commitment to him. Will you choose that this morning? So anyway, I get this lovely family and look at my daughter. I never get tired of telling the story of why I called her what I called her because I named her. We named her after this girl. This girl started her life down the toilet. Her mum gave birth to her and threw her away down the toilet. It was the university hospital toilet and someone was about to go to the and they saw this discarded fetus down there in the filth and she wasn't dead because her neck got caught in the U-Bend and, and that they reached down into the filth, picked her out, got pooing themselves in the process, cleaned her off, fed her through a straw like a little bird. She was still alive. She survived 18 years later. That is her, a beautiful young lady. And she ends up being our babysitter. So as the Lord wove the tapestry of our lives together, she ends up being our babysitter. And I said to Lizzie when we got married, I said, if, if we are ever blessed with a daughter, I want to name her after that girl. So that little white one's named after that big black one. And, and the reason I wanted to name her after that girl is because my friend who rescued her, who saved her, gave her the most beautiful girl's name, it's my favorite girl's name, the name is Grace. And why do I love that name? Because that's my story. And hopefully it's your story too, that it doesn't, doesn't matter whether we're multi-murdering rapists, pillaging idiots in Central Africa, or very self-absorbed people here in, in Sydney. We all need God's grace, don't we? And God reaches down into the pit of our lives. And you know, religion, this is really important we get this. Religion is trying to get out of that, that metaphorical pit by yourself and trying to build your way. That's impossible, you can't. You cannot do that, there's a massive chasm. Grace the fetus could not get out by herself, but help comes from outside. That's the gospel. Jesus, who is God with flesh on, the incarnation, he comes down, reaches down, picks us up, cleans us off, and says, you are beautiful. I love you, now come on, live. That's yeah. grace, that's, that's glorious, isn't it? That's amazing grace, and that's worth living for. And so I want my, my daughter to know she's a gift from God and, and everything in life is, is a gift. And it's all about grace and, and big grace there. The beautiful ongoing part of her story is just a few months ago, maybe six months ago, she graduates with distinction, summa cum laude, on scholarship in America from a prestigious American university, from the pit of a toilet. I mean, that's God, isn't it? Beautiful grace. As I talk about us being the hungriest country in the world with the highest rate of malnutrition, 56% malnourishment, I can't get my head away around that statistic, that's so horrific, but I can, you know, this makes sense to me. That little blonde-haired girl there, she's my Canadian friend's four-year-old daughter, her name's Alma. The girl in the middle whose hand she's holding is four years old. And that's just sick and wrong, isn't it? And she's probably dead, and, you know, that makes me weep, that makes me angry, and there are things that are wrong in the world, and we are here to be part of the solution and to get our hands dirty and, and to, to, to get involved. And what might that look like for you in your community here? So I'm just about to launch into the scriptures now. This is the last little bit of story for, for context. So every summer for the last 13 years, I've been there 20 years, but the last 13 years, we have sent out every summer, our summer, so that's two weeks in August, we sent, we sent out thousands. Last summer, 750 evangelists. Young people who are just up for it. 
uh, and they go into the bush and picture 750 times 14 days, two weeks, times eight hours a day, that's a lot of community outreach, isn't it? And they go out there, and what do we read about in the Acts of the Apostles? We read about persecution, so some of us, some of them do get persecuted, got beaten up, got put in prison, even in prison, even these are the cellmates of Christ. So, but you also read about the glory stories, about them casting out demons, and healing the sick, and uh, having power encounters with witch, witch doctors, and that sort of stuff. And so that, that's what's happened uh, every year that we've done this, 13 years. And there you've got this, this witch doctor, and so in one instant, you know, people live in fear of the witch doctor. If you mess with him, pssst, he'll curse you and you'll die, or your, your two-year-old will die, or whatever. So he controls that culture, that community, by fear. And so in this one instant, this witch doctor, uh, our guy showed up, he's trying to do his juju stuff, and then one of them spoke, we see now, yes, in Jesus' name, and he fell down under the power of God. And so it came to a few moments later, he said, could you come back in a couple of days? And two days later, they returned. He had assembled the whole village, and here he is burning his charms publicly, submitting to the highest power. And at the preaching of the gospel, him, 50 people in that village gave their lives to Christ. That's our Jesus. Mm. Same Jesus, different context. In that instance, the lady said, F off, you know, we're not interested in your Jesus. And they were like, you know, all right, easy target. And as they were retreating, she actually called them back, said, come back, I, 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 actually, I'll let you talk to my village. But, you know, first of all, heal this girl. So she asked the power. So they gathered around this girl, who was actually demon-possessed, and they prayed over in Jesus' name, wow. all these different demons were identified, and she was set free, and she was healed. And on the spot, that lady, a few moments earlier, was telling them where to go aggressively, and 20 other people fell on their knees and gave their lives to Christ. That's our Jesus! And, and sometimes, I mean, I, I can't read your faces right now, some of you are like, Meh, you know, but it's like, <laughs> you know, that's our Jesus! Different context, same Lord, and he's saying, come on, I want to use you here. Some of us have got sort of slightly... Pocket-sized view of God, and He's massive. And we say, "Come on, follow me. Choose life." That's what we're going to be looking at. So that's the context. Uh, pictures over. And uh, if you got your Bibles? Let's get them out. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter thirty. Choose life. And by the way, wherever I go, hear this, so that you can then hear the message without any kind of filter of cynicism or this guy's got an agenda. Um, I don't want. I don't want your money. I'm not. I didn't come. I'm not after an honorary. I can't stand that sort of stuff. Uh, so I'm not after your money. I'm not after you. I'm not on a recruiting drive for Burundi. So don't come out to Burundi. That's not what this is about. If I got anything out today, it is that you would pray. And my guys have asked me to get people to pray, and I, I believe I'm still alive because people pray. We got lots of people praying for us, and uh, you know I've gone along the road. Forty people have been killed, and by God's grace, I've, I've got through. And uh, so I know there's more work for me to do. So if you want to pray, if you want to hear some of those glory stories, there's a sheet of paper in each aisle there. Just, just grab hold of it and pass it along. If you want to put your email down, brilliant. You'll hear about six times a year from me some glory stories. That will encourage you in your own journey. If you don't want to, no worries. Okay, so Deuteronomy chapter 30, choose life. Okay, so everybody, I want you to picture yourself. We are the people of God. In this context, it's Moses, God's spokesman leader, representative. He's addressing the people of God. So I'm going to talk to you as the people of God, as you're listening to Moses. And remember what it was like, you know, we, sometimes I read the Old Testament, I read Exodus, and I think, what a bunch of losers were those Israelites, because, you know, they saw the power of God, didn't they? They, they experienced the ten plagues, and that incredible last plague, you know, with the blood of the Lamb, the prefiguring of Christ, already a picture of what was to come. But they were protected by the blood of the Lamb as the angel of death passed over. So that was, that the ten, they're all amazing miracles. And then they were led out. And there was a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. And so they, they were protected by God. And then they got to the, they were blocked by the sea. And it separated. And then they got through. And all the others died behind them, the Egyptians. And then even in the desert, they had manna and quail. They got miraculous provision of food so they could survive. 
So they saw repeatedly the power of God, and, and yet so quickly, do you remember so quickly, they, as soon as things weren't going perfectly, they slipped back into their default, mm-hmm, you know, moaning, grumbling, complaining, cynicism, uh, negativity, uh, lack of trust, fear, all those sort of things. And I'm like, come on, guys. And then I think, no, that's me. That's me. I'm so fickle. I'm so quick to be discouraged and, and think, oh, God's either not powerful enough, or he's not on his throne, or, you know, poor me, my lot in life. And so I'm preaching this to you. I'm preaching it to myself. Let's recognize ourselves and our own behavior in, in what they were going through. And um, I'm going to fire, as I said, nine bullets at you. Let me explain that. I, I, I've listened to a lot of gunfire go off. And sometimes it's quite surreal because I'm, I'm trying to guesstimate how many people are being killed a mile away. So, and, uh, and maybe, it might be 20 minute gunfights sometimes. And I thought, okay, maybe 100 people are dying right now. And in the morning, the following morning, I get a tweet, a, a tw- the tweet of the dead body. And all those thousands of bullets last night, one person died. What? But what that means is that. Only one bullet of those thousands of bullets achieved its intended destructive purpose of actually taking life. Now, to redeem that analogy, I'm gonna fire a salvo at you this morning, nine bullets. And my prayer is not that all nine will hit you, because if all nine hit you, you will be so nuked with challenge, we won't be able to handle it. My prayer is that one, or maybe the most two, bullets are for you. I mean, I think we'll relate to all of them, but what, my question would be for you, what bullet is for you and what are you going to do about it? Those are the two questions we close with, okay? So that's literally what I'm shooting for in this time we've got together, is that uh, the Lord will say, that's what I want you to take away and put into practice with in the coming days, weeks, months, years. Okay, so choose life. The first choice these guys had and that all of us have is, are we going to live by, are we going to choose clarity or trust? Are we going to live our lives insisting on clarity, or, we, we, or will we embrace a journey of trust? Now, this is challenging, and then he says it in, in verse 11. Now, what I'm commanding today is not too difficult for you, but that would imply it's quite difficult. And it's not beyond your reach, but that would imply it's quite a stretch. It's challenging to hand over the leadership of our lives to really trust God. Because if you're anything like me, we are control freaks, aren't we? We want to be in control. We want to have all our ducks in the row. We want to know exactly where we're going. But you know what? If you insist on that, you're not going to see God at work in your life. Because you, we, we, that means we have a faith, but we're not living by faith. And there is a difference. And he's saying, I want you to trust me. You don't need to know where you're going to go. You just need to know that I'm with you. And that was the call. Do you remember Genesis chapter 12 on, on Abram's life? He said, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. He didn't show him up front. He said, just move with me, walk in obedience, and I will show you. So it's difficult, but it's not impossible. Uh, Mother Teresa's House of the Dying, there was a, a, one, one visitor, and he was a brilliant ethicist called John... John Kavanagh, and, and he went there, almost a sort of career, midlife crisis career break, he went there and he was seeking clarity for the next chapter of his life. And as was often the case, on the first night, uh, Mother Teresa came alongside the newbies and she said, is anything I could pray for you? And he's like, yeah, bring it on. I've traveled thousands of miles with the great Mother Teresa to pray and prophesy and speak into my situation. So yeah, yeah, please pray that God gives me clarity for the next chapter of my life. And her indignant response shocked him. She said, no. 
I will not pray for clarity for you. Clarity is the last thing you're holding on to and you need to let go of. He's like, well, I mean, you, the great mother Teresa, it looks like you've got loads of clarity in your life. She said, I have never had clarity in my life. What I've had is trust. And so I pray for you that you trust him. Will you trust him? First one, clarity or trust. Next one, obedience or disobedience. And if you, if you look down verses 16 to 18, it seems very transactional, doesn't it? To summarize those, it says, if you walk in obedience, it will go well with you. If you disobey, you will not live long in the land you're entering to possess. You know, it's, you're going to be in trouble. And I, I think that's just, uh, that's just obvious, isn't it? The premise being God is our loving Heavenly Father, and we have to believe and trust that. But if we disobey His commands, you know, things... It's chaos. It's, it, it doesn't work. He knows what's best for us. And if we make things are going to go well. Now, are we a people that will submit? submission means someone else is in control. Will we submit to his authority in our lives? I mean, he models it so well for us. And, and there's, a, there's a great um, correlation in the scriptures between love and obedience. So three times in John chapter 14, Jesus says, well, he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he or she is the one who loves me. 1 John 5, 3, this is love to obey his commands. Jesus, our model, but Philippians verse 2, he learned obedience to death, even death on the cross. So will we obey? Are there areas of our lives that, in which we're not obeying? Because if you're anything like me, we can live quite a compartmentalized faith. He's saying, I want it all. The theologian Tozer said this, every time you hear God's word, God's truth, you'll either go in the direction you're called to go, or you'll just wait. And if you wait, you'll find that the next time you hear that word, that truth, it will not move you quite as much. The next time it will move you less. And the time will come when that truth will not move you at all. Can any of you relate to that? I, I've been in that situation where I've said, you know, I, I know what the Lord's saying, and I just harden my heart. No, I don't want you to intervene in that part of my life. And then eventually you just don't hear it anymore. It's almost like we get taken out. Now, what does obedience, what, what, what might the Lord be saying in the realm of obedience? Is it you know, an unhealthy relationship that is just not what the Lord would want? Is it, is it our, our use of money, our time, what we're investing in? Is it that we hang Jesus on the coat bag on the office on Monday morning and pick him up Friday and that you know, we can fundamentally live, you know, model uh, standards that are in conflict with what we profess uh, in the workplace? Are we turning down the message? And he's saying, I want you to obey. What might obedience look like for us this morning? Clarity, trust, obedience, disobedience. Next one. Cynicism or action. Cynicism or action. The Israelites were a cynical bunch, weren't they? They were so quick to be negative, to say, whatever, and, and to give up. And, and uh, I mean, let me speak as a Brit instead of offending you, you Aussies, you know. But, you know we're a cynical bunch. We must. I think you probably are too. And there's certainly a lot of cynicism in the church, isn't there? And notice I said the choice of cynicism or action. I didn't say cynicism or optimism. Because the antidote to cynicism isn't optimism, it's action. It's action that's born out of hope. And maybe, you know, there are only two groups of people that, 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 that really get this and, and uh, sort of logically follow the outworking of, of their thinking, and that's the cynics and the saints. It's almost like everyone else is living in some middle ground. Of a, just going on with the flow, but often you see what most cynics tend to have middle class economic security and things don't actually need to change 
for, for things, for them to be fine and to carry on the way they are. And the difference between the cynics and the saints is the presence, the power, the possibility of hope. Hope. That's why cynicism or action, and we choose, we're called to act, and there's brokenness down our street, and God, Jesus is calling us to engage with that and to be messengers and emissaries of hope. To flee and fight against the easy default of cynicism, which, which means you can just check out and look after yourself. Is that any of us this morning? Cynicism or action. Next one. Urgency or apathy. Urgency or apathy. We Israelites, we had bursts of urgency, didn't we? I mean, when Pharaoh's charioteers were up our backsides chasing us through the desert, you know, we legged it. But actually, very quickly, the default was slipping back into sort of languid apathy. And uh, I wonder where where you would self-diagnose this morning if you had a scale like full on passion for life, for the author of life, for for sharing that life, and making opportunities, creating opportunities in work and deed, this end, and sort of you know, languid apathy at this end, to just 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 you know, not engage in the battle at all. Now hear me, I this has been much easier for me to live out in a war zone because I have lived expecting to die on the weekend. Particularly 1999 to 2003, I would go out at the weekend, and it was a guerrilla war, war, so in the capital was relatively safe, and then you left, and you went along the most dangerous road in the world. And we prayed, Lord, it would be great if you protect us for the next 40 miles. Uh, but we, we, for me to live as Christ, to die as game. That's what Paul wrote in Philippians 1.21. I was ready to die. A colleague once looked over me, and the glint in his eyes, we drive driving along these dangerous roads, and said, Simon, isn't it exciting? We are immortal until God calls us home. Isn't that right? Yeah. And so, you know, it's just, it was easy for me to live with a sense of urgency uh, because I knew bombs were falling. And if you think you're going to die on the weekend, you're not going to sit just watching 14 hours of a box set in a row on Netflix or whatever. You're not going to spend 10 hours on PlayStation. That's too much to live for. This is the day the Lord's made. I'm going to maximize today. It's a gift. It's gone tomorrow. If you're going to die on the weekend, you're going to make sure all your relationships are in order. You're going to say, sorry, friend, you're not going to hang on to bitterness. You're going to tell everyone that you need to, that you love them. You know, your house, you want it to be in order. If you think you're going to die on the weekend, you're not going to get excited about stuff, about a new carpet fitting or whatever. We might get unusually or over-the-top excited about. There's nothing wrong with carpet fitting, by the way, but there's there's more important stuff. There's more important stuff. You're going to get excited about people, because people matter. That's what's going to last. And so, you know... uh, I've been here, I just got back, but we were here a few weeks ago for five days. So, you know, I've observed what's going on here. You're not at war. There isn't a war going on here, is there? But actually, there is. And I've seen it. Bombs falling all over. Apathy. Comfort. Relativism. And you see, if we don't recognize there's a war going on, we will probably stay along this end of the continuum. Uh, where would you self-diagnose while I'm continuing this morning? Are we more that end or more that end? May this morning just be an encouragement to move along and get excited about it. You know, once I was preaching on, on the Congolese border, and it was the parable of the ten virgins. Do you remember that story, Matthew 25? Ten girls, they all had a job to play. They were all invited. They had a key role at the wedding banquet. But five just weren't ready. They were, you know, they, they didn't have enough oil on their lamps. So when the belated party arrived, they had to run away and get up, buy some more. And those that were ready, they welcomed people in, and then boom, the door was shut. And they came running back a few, a few months later, and they knocked on the door, and they, said, and they said, please, please, can we come in? And they heard this horrific pronouncement, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Horrific words to hear from the Creator. 
on Judgment Day. And you know, some of what Jesus says is very nuanced and, and complex and multi-layered, some parables, others, it's really not rocket science. And this is one of the most obvious teachings, you know. I have three points, this is what Jesus is saying, it's very clear. He said, Jesus is coming, nobody knows when, are you ready? Jesus is coming, nobody knows when, are you ready? And uh, so a whole bunch of people responded in that culture, they came running forward, yeah, I want to be ready. And a whole bunch of people didn't. And they're like, yeah, no, I'm going to sow my wild oats a while longer. No, I'll turn to you when I need you, God, but I want to stay on the thread of my life. You know, whatever the different reasonings. That was Sunday. On the Tuesday, I'm on my motorbike, headed towards in the direction of that village, and I'm stopped by the military at a checkpoint. They said, you cannot go any further because there's been a rebel incursion from the Congo, and those guys are all getting killed. And it struck me as never before, the sort of urgency of our message, because who could have believed on Sunday that Jesus was coming on Tuesday? Now, that's probably not going to happen for us this week, is it? But it might. And the whole point is we are meant to be a people who live ready. When you choose urgency over apathy, God help us to move along and continue because the stakes are high. We've got very important news. Our colleagues, our loved ones, our neighbours, people we meet in coals, wherever, you know, if they choose to reject Christ and his offer of salvation, then God says, your will be done into eternity. And that's heavy. And Jesus' invitation is to everyone that's very inclusive. Come to me, all of you. You're weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. I've come to have life and life to the full. Please respond to the grace that I want to pick you up the toilet. But if you want to stay down there, the consequences are heavy. And if we believe that, then that will infuse us with a sense of urgency. Next song. Faith or fear. Are we going to be people that live by faith or by fear? And again, the Israelites, we, we were a fearful bunch, weren't we? We just, we'd seen the parable. We knew that, you know, we he manifested his protection for us, but so quickly we, we were scared. And, and listen, it's, speaking again from some quite extreme situations I've been through, it's so liberating to choose faith, to live by faith and not fear. Very practical example, you know, with my five-year-old boy. Well, you know, when it kicked off again in 2015, burning barricades just down from our house, lots of gunfire. Kids had a few heavy experiences. Thank you, Lord, they're not traumatized. I'm thinking, I want to get my wife and kids out. I don't want her to get raped. I don't want kids to the worst that could happen. And, um, but we are going to live by faith. It might be right to get them out, but when, I, I don't want us to leave because if we leave, you vote with your feet, and we are Berintian, and they haven't got the choice to leave. So we're going to stay, unless the Lord makes it very clear. And if we leave, actually, everyone's going to leave because we're sort of community leaders out there. And so we stayed. And he got heavier and heavier. And then my, my son just swallowed some popcorn into his lung. And he starts, <laughs> and so we went to the only US pediatrician in the country, and he said, uh, yeah, you need to get on the next plane out of here. He needs an emergency operation, uh, a bronchoscopy. And, uh, and so they, they got on the next plane, which was a few days away, and they went back to England. And thousands of people prayed. Again, if you sign up your email, I love it how the Lord is faithful through that. And uh, so thousands of people praying. Ten, ten days later, on the day of his operation, <laughs> He coughed, and out came this kernel of popcorn. And a doctor will tell you, tell you that's just not possible. And that's the grace of God, isn't it? But I was able to stay and model faith and not fear and solidarity. And, and Jesus didn't flee. He stayed. Now, all of us parents in the house, I think, you know, we're scared for our kids. And, 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 and the best thing that we can model them is, is faith. And they need to develop their own faith stories. They need to see us taking risks. And embracing an authentic faith. And you don't need to be afraid. They're not ours anyway, are they? They're on loan. 
But if you unpack any serious decision you've made recently, you know, not one of some inconsequential choices like what you had in your toast breakfast, but you know, a meaty decision, and if you peel back the layers of that decision, get to the root of it. Now, what was the motivation behind that decision? Was it faith or was it fear? I think so many of us, we live by fear, which is why we put all our security in our pension and our house or whatever. There's nothing wrong with a pension in the house. There is, if that's your security. Jesus is saying, I'm to be your security. I've got big hands, I've got the whole world in my hands. Trust me. And many of us live shackled by fear, shackled by fear of the future, financial fear, shackled by the tyranny of public opinion. What will people say? What will they think? You say, just live free and live by faith. <laughs> Example. Next one. Grumpiness or gratitude. Mm. Israelites, what a bunch of grumpy people we are. You know, again, speaking as a Brit, our national pastime is moaning. You know, we are so good at complaining. We're amongst the less people alive in the history of humanity as you are, but what we're so, and you know, I'm speaking as a palm, but I, I think you're probably the same. We're so quick to complain, aren't we? The biggest gift Burundi has given me is the gift of gratitude. You see, I, I, I'm alive today. I didn't, know, I didn't think I'd be alive. And I've still got my eyes. That's a weird thing to say. Well, I had a, a, a guy tried to kill me, and he wrote to me a letter saying he's going to cut out my eyes. He came to my house with a grenade to blow me up. And you're like, oh, that's a horrible experience. It was a pretty unpleasant experience. It's one of the best experiences of my life. Why? Because for the first time in my life, I consciously, faced with the imminent loss of these piddly things, I said, thank you, Lord, for the gift of eyesight. It's a gift, not a right, isn't it? And our challenge, your challenge, is we live in an entitlement culture where it's all about our rights and so when we don't get what we want it's an affront to my divine right to happiness, fulfillment, purpose or whatever which is why so many of us are not doing well in life and we're complaining and grumpy and, 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 and despairing and all those things and you know, if you choose to see everything as a gift then it transforms your existence you just become a you know, joy can defy circumstances. A friend of mine was with an old man uh, who was, had an empty bowl. He was praying in his rags, and she asked him what his story was in the refugee camp. And he, he, he told her how he'd, he'd walked six days to get, to get that refugee camp. He'd seen his wife and kids hacked to death. His house burned down. And he turned to her. He had a horrific story. He said to Madame Missionnet, I never realized that Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all I had. How do you say that? So anyway, oh, this morning I was going to preach on Romans chapter 12 and it says, therefore in view of God's mercy I urge you, brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, therefore in view of God's mercy, the Greek word there, mercy, is plural, it's mercies. And so when I'm tempted, this is a life skill that completely change your life in the next two minutes. Uh, when I'm tempted to self-pity or discouragement or woe is me, I just go through the mercies of God in my life. I can see. I've got a body that mostly works. I, 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 I turn these things in my house and I don't die drinking it. I don't have to walk five miles with a jet tank and you know, at least a jerry can on my head. Um, I, I can read and write. I think of a girl in one of our youth camps. She stood up, confessed to sleeping with a priest to get five bucks for her school fees. Now, I don't judge that girl. All of you, my precious sisters, I think would have done that because otherwise you'd still be illiterate in first grade. We just didn't have to make that choice. We've got access to medical care. Wow, what a gift. My pastor's friend's 18-year-old brother died his arms because he didn't have five bucks for medicine across the counter. Five bucks for a life. That's sick and wrong. I've had that disease 19 times, but I've got five bucks. I'm still alive. And we, we moan about our, 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 national, our, our, our access to med medical care. Listen, the next time you're moaning about your medical care, I want you to picture me standing next to you 
I'm punching you in the face. You know, it's like, let's be grateful. Let's be grateful. Because it's a gift. And you know, so I go through all the things. You know, we've got freedom as nations to say Jesus is Lord. I, I was with a friend of mine who's been in China, and China persecution is increasing steadily right now. And he came out, and we were walking along, we were processing. He'd been out of China four days. And he said to me, it was almost like a confession. He said, be silent. I've been out of China four days, and every day in China, I do something to get myself arrested i.e. tell people about Jesus. And I've been back four days in England and I haven't done anything arrestable. And his point was that where it was costly, you know, where he knew that the war was going on, he was at this end of the spectrum, living radical urgency. And where it was, it was, it was, it was, easy, it was easy, or it was free, and there's no, you know, the legal cost to it, it's like he'd slipped along the spectrum. And so, Lord, thank you for all those gifts. And in view of those things, you know, you are the giver. I'm going to live a life of gratitude. Are we going to be people of gratitude or people who are grumbling? Mm. Last few. Comfort, the way of comfort or the way of the cross. Now, this is bringing right to the New Testament. Obviously, we as Israelites, it was pre-cross, although we had prefigurings of it. And we certainly wanted the way of comfort. And that's what I want. I want things to be comfortable in my life. But that's not the way of the cross. That's not what Jesus is calling us to. I mean, Jesus is calling us to life to the full, but that fullness of life is not comfort. There's so much more to live for than just comfort. It's not all right just to be successful, have fun, and tag on Jesus. And you know, it's interesting, you know, I've had a chance to speak around the world. My most intimate uh, communal experience of worship have been with the most obviously broken people in the West. You know, in prisons, with alcoholics, druggies. Why? Because they're not as sophisticated, maybe, as, as we are. And they screwed up, and they, it's so obvious they screwed up. So it's not a fat mask of, you know, I'm okay. And where are the most lies told in a week? It's like church on Sunday, isn't it? How are you doing? I'm fine. And, 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 and God is extremely close when people admit their brokenness. And so if you can imagine, 2015, April 26th, crisis kicks off, and I'm preaching 27th, so I have to go to church. First tweet of the dead body coming through, and, and lots of heavy stuff going on. Our church, a bit bigger than this, not much, 150 people, and um, 30 show up because it's dangerous together. And I'm looking around at our congregation, and uh, well, I think of Ephraim and his three-year-old daughter, who's, she wets herself every time she hears gunfire. That's her trauma. Gunfire, And suddenly the economy's gone, so he's got six mouths to feed. How are they going to get through the coming months, years? And, and it's such a broken body. But you know what? God was so close. And we chose the way of the cross. And this morning, you could, you could settle for a respectable Jesus and play it safe and just think it's about being nice. Or you could say, no, I'm going to roll my, you know, roll my sleeves up. And in community, we do this together. I know it's the heartbeat of this church. And head and direction together of modeling this and saying, you know, yes, Lord, you've blessed us in living in a lovely place. And maybe, you know, we've got good uh, financial resources. We can, we can afford to go nice. That's all, that's all the goodness of God. Enjoy that. But where does the cross kick in? And with the last two bullets, maybe they underpin all the others. I think they do. So the second last one is rules or relationship. So back to verse 16 and 18, it does seem very transactional. Do this, will go well, don't do this, will go badly. And people could think that that's how it is with God. And this morning, or you know, over this 24-hour period around the world, the Sabbath day, under the broad branch of Christendom, maybe two and a half billion Christians in the world, whatever it is, uh, I, would, I would guess that half a million, maybe more, 
under the banner of Christendom, of people will go to a church of whatever description, and they, they would articulate their faith, their faith as, I'm going to a church, and then hopefully God will accept me. And, you know, I'm going to tick a box, and that's what it's about. Now, that's not a great way to, please don't come for that reason. And then a whole bunch of millions, hundreds of millions, would, would maybe sound more coherent in their theology, and they would say, um, the Old Testament was about law, and the New Testament was about grace. The Old Testament was about rules, the New Testament was about relationship. Which sounds maybe a bit more plausible, that's wrong. It was always about relationship. It was always grace. Back in chapter 9, God says to the, the insane Israelites, says, don't think I've chosen you because you're any better than anyone else. I just want relationship. I just love you. And that's what he says to us this morning. Now, I know domestic violence is common throughout the world, but you know, it's hideous and unethical. And, and there's this one lady in a very dysfunctional marriage. And what would, how it would work was that at the beginning of the day, before the husband went out, every day he'd write a long list of household chores that she had to do before he returned. And he would do the checklist at the end of the day, and uh, if she hadn't done everything on the list, he would beat her. And she never managed to do what was on the list. And so every night of her marriage, she was beaten. And I think we can say, praise God, he died. Because she was released from that horrific, uh, you know, abusive relationship. And then in due course, she actually met a really loving man who, who nurtured her and released her in her gifting and encouraged her and never laid a finger on her inappropriately. And they, they got married and it was very healthy. And, and a few months into their, uh, their marriage, um, she said, I'm just going to blitz the house today. We did a full spring, spring clean and, and he went off the office and she just went from, from dawn till dusk. And just before he returned in the evening, she was just finishing off cleaning behind the sofa. And can you guess what she found? She pulled out a scrumpled piece of paper. And it's one of the old lists from the horrible ex-deceased husband. And she read it and she, she started ticking things off from that list. And can you guess the end? She'd done it all. What she had never been able to accomplish, shackled by the fear of impending judgment and punishment. Now in the context of a loving, beautiful, endorsing, fulfilling, thriving relationship, she'd done it all. And in that picture, brothers and sisters, some of us were stuck with the old husband. And that is not what God is like. He's not like that. You really need to hear that. There's a lovely story at the end of the book. Uh, it's called Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. It's a story of a guy called Steve Brown. He's got his daughter Robin. And, and she is completely uh, messed up over this, this course she has to do at, at school. And you know, he's a loving father, she's not eating, he's not sleeping, and he just wants to get her out of it because he's seeing her suffer so much. So he takes her into school and he asks for a meeting with the Jewish professor lady and, 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 and she's very wise and, and he comes in and says, look, please, can, we, can she do something else to fulfill the course requirement? It's ruining her life. And she said, look, can I just talk first of all to, to Robin? And so the lady turns to the professor, turns to Robin and said, do you think you could do this course if I gave you an A before we even started? Robin, off you go. You've got an A. I'm guaranteeing you an A before you start. Robin walks off. And the lady turns to Steve. She said, I've just taken away the fear. I know Robin. She's going to be fine. She's very capable. And the lovely ending to that story is that Robin went on and made, she made straight A's on her own merit. Now listen, brothers and sisters, that is how God deals with us as followers of Jesus. Because of Christ's finished work, 
on the cross, Christians already have a name. The threat of failure, judgment, condemnation are removed. We are in forever. Nothing we do will make our grave any better. Nothing we do will make our grave any, any worse. In his life, through his death and resurrection, Christ, our substitute, has secured for us the everything, the A, that we come into this world longing for, yet we're incapable of securing for ourselves. All the pardon, the approval, the purpose, the cleansing, the significance, all, it's, all, it's all ours in Christ. The operative power that makes you a Christian is the same operative power that keeps you a Christian, which is the, the glorious gift of grace in the completed work of Christ. So the banner under which we live reads, it is finished. Relax and rejoice. You're free. Mm. So last one. Kids are coming, so let's blitz it. This is crucial and it underpins all the others. Verse 15, verse 19. Let's look at verse 9. This, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that are set for you. Life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life mm. so that you and your children may live. Choose life. So that's the last one. The last two rules of relationship, death and life. And uh, what are we going to choose? Last story. At the end of a, a horrible night in a, in a village where the, a house burnt down, uh, they realized the whole family had been killed in this, in this fire. Apart from, at the last minute, someone reached through the window and plucked out the baby boy. And so the next morning, as a child remains of that house, there was a sort of argument amongst the gathered villagers, to, like who's going to have the privilege of adopting this boy? Because, you know, obviously, according to their worldview, the ancestral spirits had, had protected this boy. He is special. He has special value. And so the wish doctor was like, wow, let me have this boy to nurture his spiritual powers. But the, villager, the, the chief of the village said, eh, eh, I'm the boss, and so I'm going to have him. But the, 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 um, the richest man in the village said, no, hang on, listen, I can pay to give him the best education. Let me have him. And then the neighbor said, no, no, listen, his father had an unpaid debt towards me, so I will take this child's baby in lieu of that unpaid debt. And then a nobody and anybody in the village stepped forward and quite authoritatively said, no, the boy's mine. And they're like, what? What's your claim? And then all he did was open his hands. And his hands were blistered and burned and charred. And he said, the boy's mine because I saved him. Hmm. And Jesus this morning said to all of you, you're mine. I saved you. I chose death. So that you could choose life. I became, I chose the curse. Curse is the one that hangs on the tree. I became a curse so that you might choose blessing. And so what's it going to be? What are we going to do, people of God? Mm. Don't take, don't take all nine. Take one, maybe two. So the two parting questions, as we heard our different ways, what bullet is for you? And what are you going to do about it? Maybe you can rummage over that, wrestle with that. If you came with someone else, you know, go lunch this evening as family or friends or whatever. Because otherwise it's just another sermon, isn't it? But will we be a people that choose life? Let me pray. Why don't you all stand?